Thank you all for coming to this session. My name is Rodney Anderson. I uh, am at Grace Community Church. I am the missions pastor there. And uh, I grew up at Grace Church from about six months old. My parents took me there. And I mean, I, it was the expository preaching is what at six months old really drew me to the church or... The, the nursery was so good at that time. I just loved the nursery. The cribs were fantastic. So, but very blessed, very thankful to have grown up at Grace Church. And uh, I'll share a little bit more of my story later, but uh, did go to China, as Josh mentioned, from 2012 to 2018. And so we've only been back for about three years or so um, to back, asked to come back to help train missionaries from our church to go out. So it's a joy to be able to do that. Uh, Let me pray to start our time this morning. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Lord, I thank you for each person here and, Lord, the opportunity they have coming to this camp to be able to hear your word taught and to be reminded how short this life is. Lord, it's so deceiving. We feel like life is long and it's all about these 70, 80 years on this planet. And yet the reality is, compared to eternity, life is amazingly short. Lord, pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom, that we would number our days. Lord, just uh, pray, God, that this would be helpful. Lord, that you would be honored in our time this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, well, I wanted to start off by telling you about uh, an athlete, a superstar athlete. Maybe compare him to current-day athletes. Some of the, who are some of the biggest athletes today, the best uh, sports figures? LeBron James. LeBron James is a big one. Thank you, Justin yeah, Turner. jumped out on that one. Who else? Justin Turner. Justin Turner. Who's Justin Turner? <laughs> Dodgers. Dodgers. See, I don't know baseball. I'm sure he's fantastic. I don't know anything about baseball. Justin Turner, I'm sure, is a fantastic athlete. Any others? What are some big ones? Corey Seager. Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Pretty sure he's not an athlete. A lot of big athletes out there. Well, I want to talk to you about one from a long time ago. And his name was Charles Thomas Studd. He had the last name Studd, so I mean... He had a leg up already. Uh, it went by CT, CT Stud. And his sport was cricket. Any of you guys play cricket before? Big cricket players in here? Have you ever watched cricket before? A couple. A few. Yeah, I, you know, I've seen a little bit of cricket, but I can't figure out what they're doing. It's like a little baseball, a little bowling, something going on. In America, we're not big into cricket, are we? Because it's dumb. No, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm sure it's a great sport, whatever it is. But cricket is big around the world, really big. It is the second largest spectator sport in the world right now. And that's what Wikipedia said, and Wikipedia is always right. <laughs> or at least that's what I've read. What's the largest spectator sport in the world right now? Soccer. Soccer, right. Soccer is the biggest, and we don't watch a whole lot of that in the States either. But the soccer's the biggest, cricket is the second biggest around the world. Well, back in the late 1800s, C.T. Studd was a cricket star. He was fantastic cricket player, even at a very young age. He was at 21, he was considered one of Britain's top cricket players. Now, in, in Great Britain, 
cricket's a big deal. It's not like the United States. Uh, cricket is their national sport in Great Britain. So, and C.T. Studd was one of the top players at the age of 21. And that was somewhat unheard of at that time to have such a young guy be such a top star in cricket and advancing to the top of the sport. He went to Cambridge University, and that was a big cricket-playing university, and he was the idol of young men across the nation because of how good he was in cricket. It said his Cambridge career was one long blaze of cricketing glory. That's, That's a pretty fun statement. I played high school basketball, and they say that my high school years was one long blaze of basketball glory. No one says that. Um, I went to a very small school and was not very good. But C.T. Studd was fantastic. He was a cricket superstar, and it is said that he was one of the greatest all-around players that the game has produced. Now, not surprisingly, cricket was big to C.T. That was the biggest thing in his life at 21 years old, being such a great player. He had become a Christian at 17 years old. So it's not as if he wasn't a believer. His father became a believer after listening to D.L. Moody. And and then C.T. became a believer as well at 17. And yet, although he started following Christ, cricket just was an idol in his life. And he meant a lot to him. Well, that all changed for C.T. at 23 years old. At 23 years old, C.T.'s brother George developed a very serious illness. And he was very close to death. Now, George later pulled through. But C.T., seeing his brother George about to die, realized how short life is. He realized the brevity of life. And he was confronted by the question, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? What's it all worth when you're about to face eternity? He had to admit that since his conversion six years earlier, he'd been in an unhappy, backslidden state. And this is what he said at that time at 23. Formerly, I had as much love for cricket as any man could have. But when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found that I had something infinitely better than cricket. My heart was no longer in the game. I wanted to win souls for the Lord. I knew that cricket would not last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. So suddenly, C.T., who was so big into cricket, it was everything to him, had a new passion. And his new passion was to share the gospel with others. And C.T. was an evangelist at Cambridge. He was telling so many people about Christ and constantly reaching out and being a gospel witness. And then one day, a guy came to town. He was a missionary who had been in China a number of years, and he was back in Britain recruiting more missionaries. A guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. You've probably heard of him before. Hudson Taylor was not only a great missionary in China, but he was a great recruiter of other missionaries to China. So he spoke there at Cambridge, and C.T. said, you know what, this is how I want to spend my life. I want to give my life for people in China. So C.T., along with six other of his Cambridge friends, decided to, to leave Great Britain and go to China. They're called the Cambridge Seven, and there's books written about these guys who had such a promising life ahead of them in Great Britain, but they were willing to sacrifice and go to China. For these seven guys to leave, it shocked the nation. You can imagine seven athletes, seven top guys 
uh, about to enter, say, the NBA. And they're saying, you know what, we're going to give all this up and we're going to be missionaries. Um, you know, you had Kobe and LeBron and a few guys. Yeah, you know what, we're giving up basketball and going. That would be pretty shocking. And it was at that time for these guys to go. CT was not only going to go with his friends, but he was recruiting others to join him. And he said this, are you living for the day or are you living for life eternal? Are you going to care for the opinion of men here or for the opinion of God? The opinion of men won't avail us much when we stand before the judgment throne, but the opinion of God will. Had we not then better take his word and implicitly obey it. So at 24 years old, C.T. Studd went to be a missionary in China, giving up his professional career. That was ahead of him right there. Unless we think, well, C.T. Studd just thought all sports were evil and he was some wacky guy. He didn't. He thought cricket was fine. And he said this. He said, I don't say don't play games or cricket or so forth. By all means, play and enjoy them, giving thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did to me. What good will it do to anybody in the next world to have been the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls for Jesus. CT is not saying that cricket is bad or any sports are bad or having fun is bad. Those things are all fine. And I think biblically he was right. Those things aren't bad. But if they become the most important thing to you, that's a problem. If they're an idol in your life, that is a sin issue. Christ has to be number one in your life. And for CT, cricket was. It was the biggest thing in his life. And he knew I needed to give that up, give his life away for people in China. Later, it'd be in India and Africa, he would be a missionary as well. Now, not only, I mean, it's amazing to think of giving that up and that kind of life, that professional career. But C.T. gave something else up, too. His father was a very wealthy man. His father left him a very large inheritance when he died. Now, C.T. was a little younger when his dad died, and he would receive that inheritance at 25 years old. Now, C.T. left for China at 24. So before he left, he decided, when I come of age, when I'm 25, I'm going to give that money away. Now, what kind of money are we talking about? Well, 29,000 pounds, British pounds. That's a lot of money, huh? Is it? I mean, 29,000 pounds, is that very much? Well, in 1885, that is a lot of money. If you converted it to today's dollars, and there's, you know, Google has pages for everything now. You convert 29,000 pounds then to today, it's 5 million US dollars. So he was receiving a $5 million inheritance, and he said... I'm going to give that all away. That's, that's what he said before he left for China at 24. Well, when we turned 25 in China, he followed through with that. And he did. He gave it all away to different gospel ministries. There's a little bit he didn't give away that he said, okay, when I marry, I'm going to give that to my wife. And as soon as um, they were about to get married, she said, no, give that away too. And so he gave away all of that. Now, was it worth it? Was it worth it for C.T. Studd? I mean, couldn't he have a great gospel witness as a cricket player? Share the gospel with people as a cricket player? Sure, he could have. Couldn't he, you know, have used that money for something else? Certainly he could have. But God had put on his heart to be a missionary. 
God had put on his heart to go overseas to give his life away. And he wanted to obey. He wanted to give, give away whatever it was, whatever future he had, whatever money he had for the Lord because he believed that's what God was calling him to do. He wasn't a perfect guy. C.T. Studd, if, if you read a biography, you realize he, was, he could be a bit arrogant and uh, hard to be with at times, was critical of others. And so he wasn't a perfect guy, but he was a guy that was willing to sacrifice everything for the Lord. He said this, a famous quote by him, said that some wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some people want to live where it's comfortable. In fact, most people do. Most everybody does. But he said, no, I want to set up a rescue shop a yard from the gates of hell. People are going to hell. I want to rescue them from that. And so that is what he did. Now, for him, he realized it was worth it. And he also said this, if Jesus Christ be God, and he is, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, no sacrifice I make would be too great to make for him. He recognized it wasn't really even a sacrifice to give away this professional career, to give away this huge inheritance. So with that as an example, I want to walk with you through three different points about missions today. The title, of course, is Life is Short, Go. And what I want to, you to walk away with today is to be open to going and being a missionary. Not every one of you in this room should be a missionary or will be a missionary, but I want you to be open to it. And I'll, and I'll explain why as we go through this. So I'll have three points. The first is the command is clear. So I'll talk about that, the command being clear. And then we're going to look, secondly, that the needs are tremendous. And then third, we're going to look at your opportunity is uncommon. So the command is clear. The needs are tremendous. And third, your opportunity is uncommon. So first, the command is clear. Open your Bibles, if you have them, Matthew 28. We're going to look at the Great Commission. We're doing a message on missions. How can we not look at the Great Commission? It's an important passage, and I'll explain why it's so important as we look at it. But in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, we see the words of Christ here. And you'll notice immediately that this is right at the end of the book of Matthew. <coughs> this is how it reads. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And now you may read this passage, think, okay, I've heard that. It's called the Great Commission, but what's so great about it? Why is, why is this so important? What's so special that we call this the Great Commission? Well, there's a few reasons why this is special, why it's so important. We see it's important because it's repeated many times. You'll see at the end of each of the Gospels, all four Gospels, there's some kind of restatement of the Great Commission. 
And you'll see it again in the book of Acts, a statement about the Great Commission. This is repeated many times. Now, does that mean things are only important in Scripture if they're repeated? No. Every verse is important, even if it's only said once, some principle. But to have something repeated, we better take close attention to that. Now, some of you who are Greek scholars may say, but wait a minute, the second half of the book of Mark, is that maybe an addendum, that it's not inspired? Um, Well, we could talk about that, but the reality is, if it is an addendum, which I believe it is, after, I think it's verse 8, the the people who were writing the manuscript thought, you know what, the Great Commission is so important, we better include that in here too. It was understood that this is an important command of Christ. We see that because of its repetition. We also see that because of its timing. The Great Commission was given after Jesus died and rose again, and right before he ascended to heaven. So these are some of Jesus' last words that he was saying to his disciples before he left to go to heaven. And it's your last opportunity to say something. You are very careful with what you say, and you say the most important thing. I don't know if you've seen movies where it's the person's last words, and you know people are always uh, totally with it as they're saying their last words in movies, and they die. Um, Jesus was fully with it because he was ascending. He wasn't dying at that point. He was ascending to heaven. And he knew this is the last opportunity to give his disciples instructions. And so we see and the instructions he gave was the Great Commission. And we also see its importance by its literary location. It's at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And as we understand Matthew, as we look at the life of Christ and then his death and resurrection, it's all leading up to the Great Commission. It's all pointing that the Gospel of Matthew culminates in the Great Commission. And we see that too with how the word all is repeated in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus is really summing up, look, all authority has been given to me, and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. He's saying, okay, this is what it's all about. It's not just for Israel. This is for all the nations to follow after me. And then as we see in the book of Acts, it's literary location there, it points forward to all the book of Acts. And it gives an outline in Acts 1.8 of all that happened and how the church spread through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Great Commission is incredibly important for its repetition, its timing, its literary location. So because it's so important, we better understand it. We better understand what it's saying. What is the Great Commission all about? So I just want to spend a, a few minutes looking at that. And the first thing we need to understand as we look at the Great Commission there, and look at it there, uh, 18 to 20, there's a number of verbs you'll see in this passage. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And he mentions baptizing them and teaching them as well. Now, what is the main verb here? Are these all parallel verbs or is there a main verb? Well, if you studied the Greek and looked, and maybe you've heard of this in sermons before, but the main verb is make disciples. That is the one imperative in this section, the one uh, verb that's declined as an imperative. Now, you'll see the other verbs in here, they're called participles, and they rely on the imperative, and they are attendant circumstances, what they call it, but they are also... Uh, imperatives because of the weight of the main imperative, make disciples. But that's the first thing we need to understand is the main imperative, make disciples. What does that mean to make disciples? Well, a disciple 
is a learner, right? A disciple is a follower. So Christ's command here is not just to make converts. He didn't say make converts of all the nations. He said make disciples. And because he says it that way, we need to recognize that is our mission is to make disciples and followers of Jesus. And the reality is the gospel is more than just knowing about Christ, more than just knowing the facts that he died and rose again. The gospel is becoming a learner, a follower of Christ. It is understanding not just that Christ died, but why he died. Jesus Christ died because there needed to be a penalty paid for sin. You see, all of us have sinned. All of us have failed, and all of us deserved God's wrath. Continue to deserve God's wrath were it not for Christ. But Christ lived that perfect life, died on the cross to pay our penalty. And he did that not just that we would have a get-out-of-hell free card, but he did that that we might live for him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that means we are to recognize that we are to die to our sin as well. And we are to die to self. That's what Jesus had said earlier, was it not? If anyone desires to follow after me, if anyone desires to be a disciple, follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Galatians 2.20, we're reminded of this as well. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. No longer is it my life. I'm, it's dying to self. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to recognize that following Christ means giving up everything for him. And if we're called to make disciples, we need to know what a disciple is. And you need to be a disciple, a true believer. And if you have any question about that, about whether you have truly died to self and are following Christ, I urge you to talk to your staff person, pastor, talk to me afterwards, talk to someone. Because the Great Commission for you to go make disciples means nothing unless you're first a disciple yourself. Truly saved, truly following Christ. So I want to encourage you to consider that. So... This is Christ's command to make disciples as we have become disciples of Christ. Now, that's not the only verb, as I said. After we see make disciples, we see baptizing there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is something that was practiced before. John the Baptist even did baptisms. Hence the name John the Baptist. That's where he got it, you know. Um, But now it's saying this is different. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a Christian baptism that anyone who comes to Christ is to do. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change you, but it identifies yourself with Christ. It's a symbolic act showing, I am now a follower of Christ. It shows that you too are dying to yourself as Christ died for you. Next, uh, another verb in here, we see teaching. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And again, we're reminded that Making disciples doesn't end at conversion. We are commanded to teach also. And that's why the local church is so important in missions. And I could go on for a long time about the local church's importance in missions. 
and how we see the book of Acts and that the disciples realize to obey the Great Commission, we plant local churches. And that's what we see through the book of Acts. But the main part I want you to understand there, it's not just conversion, but bringing people to spiritual maturity is what's needed. But there's another verb in, uh, in this passage, and that's the word go. Go and make disciples. Now, some have said, well, that's a participle, so it's not really a command. We're not really, we don't have to go. It's more of a as you're going. But it relies upon, it leans on that imperative make disciples, and so it carries the same weight of it. And good exegesis, good Bible interpretation would show that that it carries the weight of a command as well. Jesus is telling them to go. All the nations need to hear about him. There needs to be disciples from every nation. Well, that's not going to happen unless they go to the other nations to make disciples. The Lord desires men from every nation, and so people must go. We see this, in fact, turn to another passage, if you would, Romans 10. And in Romans 10, we also see here the need for people to go out. We're going to look at Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. Here Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Pick it up in the middle of 13 there. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So people need to be saved without question, but they will not be saved unless they call on him. They cannot call on him unless they believe. They will not believe unless they have heard and cannot hear without a preacher, and there can be no preacher unless one is sent. There must be people that are sent. So there's importance of sending, and obviously the importance of those who are going as well. Not everyone is going to go. But if you're not going, you need to be part of the sending process. So I want you to really think about that today is, am I willing to go? Have I died to myself? A true follower, disciple of Christ dies to self. That means dying to your own desires, dying to all your own comforts, if God calls you to that. Would I be willing to do that if that was a possibility? I remember... Um, when I was in high school, I think it might have been at a camp, I don't remember, or if it was in youth group, someone challenged me, said, you need to be willing to go be a missionary if that's what God calls you to do. Whether or not he does or not, you need to be willing to truly die to yourself. And I always remember that, that I need to be willing to go. And I was even encouraged, I remember at the time, they said, you know, before you get married, Ask the person you're going to propose to and say, hey, would you be willing to go as a missionary as well if, if, I was, if God called me to do that? Because you want to make sure that your wife would be willing to go. So before Glenn and I got engaged, I asked her, would you be willing to be a missionary if God ever called me to do that? She said, yes. And I quickly said, but don't worry. I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> I said, I, I was told to ask that, and I've always wanted to be open. I just wanted to check. You checked the box. You said you're willing. I'm willing. But you know what? It's not going to happen. Well, 
Uh, God had other things in store for sure. But are you willing to if God calls you to do that? And I think that's what's important. Hudson Taylor uh, said this about the Great Commission. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's not an option. Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Now, that means either going or supporting those who do go. And I don't know if a few of you will go and be missionaries, but I know every one of us needs to be involved in missions in some way, supporting gospel work, if not going. And every person can do that. Not everyone, if everyone goes, there'd be no one to support those who do go. But you need to be involved in one way or another. The command is clear. So that's the first point for today. The second point is this. The needs are tremendous. And I want to talk about some of the needs overseas. We live in the United States, very developed country. And they use the term first world country. I'm sure you've heard of that term. First world country, then you hear of third world countries. And you think, well, what are the second world countries? But a first world country, and you may have heard, uh, being a first world country, of also the term first world problems. Have you guys heard this, first world problems? These are problems that we have as people in a first world country. That, you know, in light of what's going on in other places in the world, probably not that big of a deal. And you may have heard some of these first world problems, as I know I have, or maybe you've said them yourself. Uh, Things like, I'm so upset, this free Wi-Fi is just too slow. As if that's a major problem in your life. Or, the recharging cable on my iPhone doesn't reach to my bed, so I can't look at it while it's charging. And that's a big problem for some people. Or, my smartphone is too big for the pockets in my favorite pants. Or my shampoo and conditioner never run out at the same time. So my shampoo is gone, I still have conditioner, and ugh, it's horrible. Or perhaps, if my ripped jeans keep ripping, I'm going to have to buy a new pair of ripped jeans. I think some girls, yeah, have suffered that fate. It's, it's horrible. But these are first world problems around here. These are the things that we might complain about uh, in the United States. But more than that, I think more problematic, as problematic as that is, complaining about things when we have it so easy here, is first world church problems. We complain about things in the church here that other countries would never dream of complaining about. Someone saying, well, that sermon was biblical, but I didn't really like the illustrations. Or they didn't have the kind of donuts I liked at church this week. I'm really upset. Or perhaps they turn up the AC so high at our church that I have to bring a sweater to church. Or perhaps, why does MacArthur keep reading out of the Legacy Standard Version when all I have is the ESV? Big, big problems that we have. We need to understand that we may complain about things like this. Oh, it's not my favorite preacher. It's not, you know, I don't like the color of the choir robes. Churches in other countries are starving for gospel preaching. There are countries where there isn't a good Bible translation. There are churches there where there's pastors saying, I need training, but I don't know where to get it. They would love to have a commentary or two where we have, I can't tell you, probably a couple hundred commentaries electronically. 
plus hard copy ones. We have so many versions of the Bible. How many versions do you guys have at your house? Probably quite a few, as I do as well. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's great. That's fantastic that we have those. But do we understand the needs overseas? Do we understand how much people overseas are just begging for help? How do we do church biblically? What is church discipline? What does that look like? How do we send out missionaries? How do we teach the Bible clearly? And we get uh, requests from countries all over the world. In Indonesia right now, we have one missionary from our church in Indonesia. He says, we need more desperately because there are pastors here saying, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to explain scripture. Can you send more people? Well, here in the States, boy, we have a million opportunities and a million commentaries we can go to too. The needs are tremendous overseas. One statistic I saw online, and I don't know if it's exactly true, but it says 80 to 90% of the resources of churches in the United States are spent towards domestic or United States uh, ministries. And yes, should we spend on U.S. ministries? Sure. But the dying world out there, the majority of the world, so much needs our help. I saw another statistic that said, the money that's spent by the churches in the United States towards unreached people groups, there are many unreached people groups who do not have any Bible in their language. The money that's spent by churches in the U.S. towards these unreached groups is less than the money that's spent in the United States on Halloween costumes for their pets. The U.S. spends a tremendous amount of money on Halloween costumes for pets, which I think is wrong on so many levels. Um, But they think, the world thinks that's more important than we do about reaching these unreached people groups, which is a tragedy, for sure. The needs are tremendous overseas, and we need to recognize them. We We have a clear command The needs are tremendous. We need to see those needs. I appreciate one missionary said this, quote, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Read it again. I have but one candle of life to burn. I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. And he went to the Arab-speaking world. He went to the Middle East. Ian Keith Falconer, and gave his life away there. Certainly a land of darkness. There is lots of people who are willing to stay in the States. That's not a problem. We could find those. Are there needs in the U.S.? Absolutely. There are small towns without great churches in the United States. But there are cities of over a million people, many cities of over a million overseas, with no solid church. And are we willing to sacrifice the comforts of the United States to go. The needs are great. Well, there's one more here. The command is clear, number one. The needs are tremendous, it's number two. And finally, your opportunity is uncommon. Your opportunity is uncommon. Now, why do I say your opportunity is uncommon? Well, first of all, you live in the United States. You have a lot of opportunity here. You have more means more financial means than 90%, at least 90% of the rest of the world. To send a missionary out from the United States isn't that hard because there are so many Christians willing to support missionaries who go. When we were in China, we, a church 
that we knew were sending a missionary out, but they were unclear. How do we support that guy? They don't have a lot of people giving money to their church and no way to support him to be a missionary, and they didn't know how to train him either. Here in the U.S., plenty of resources. So you have that opportunity because of the country you live in. Secondly, your age. You have an uncommon opportunity because you're still young. You have an opportunity right now to make decisions that will lead you toward the mission field. As you get older, it will be harder. As you make other decisions in life and get into situations, it'll be hard to set those aside and go to the field. But right now, you can choose not to get yourself entangled in certain situations. Uh, One, you know, as I already mentioned, marry someone who's unwilling to be a missionary. If you do that, you shouldn't be on the mission field. Unless your spouse wants to be a missionary, you shouldn't be a missionary. Now, most of you aren't married yet, so you have an opportunity now to decide, okay, I'm not going to marry someone who's not willing to be a missionary. So that's one advantage you have in your age that you can make it a possibility to be a missionary. Third advantage, your opportunity, is your church. <coughs> you are part of a church that teaches the Bible biblically. Believe it or not, that is a rarity around the world. and It's even a rarity in the U.S. But I know a lot of your churches familiar with your pastors and your churches by reputation, certainly. And they're biblical churches, Bible-teaching churches. And you have been taught, even in high school, what most people have not been taught. Um, There are most youth groups, actually, across the country are just doing games to entertain the kids, keep them out of trouble so they're not out smoking weed and gang-banging or something. Just keep them in the church, keep them entertained. Well, I know your churches aren't like that. You're getting Bible teaching. So that is a great opportunity you have. Your country has resources, your age, you're still young, you can do this. The church you go to, you're being well taught. And certainly, uh, your intelligence. You chose to come to this seminar. So uh, you're the smartest group uh, here at Regen, clearly. Well, I'm thankful you came. And I do think that there is a sense in which, by coming to some extent, you're open to hearing about missions. You're open and considering that, and I appreciate that. So I don't know what God's going to work in your heart. Maybe it'll be supporting missions, which is great. Maybe it'll be going. But God has brought you here for a purpose, to hear this. And you have more advantages than most people in the world to be a missionary. Now you may think, okay, I want to be open, but what would that look like? How is this even possible You give this story of C.T. Studd, this professional cricket player, uh, inheritance and all that. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm an average guy. Well, the good news is God uses regular people. You don't have to be a superstar to be a missionary. Uh, Case in point, I was a missionary. Obviously, God can use pretty average people. We have 91 missionary families through our church. And if I... Had any one of them standing here, they would say the same thing. I'm not some amazing person. I was willing to go. I was willing to sacrifice. I saw the needs, was willing to go. Uh, That's what God is looking for. People who are faithful, people who are willing to go. As I mentioned, I, I grew up at Grace Church, enjoyed everything. And again, as I went through, uh, the church programs, 
Eventually went on high school staff for four years, right out of high school. College staff for four years. Adult ministry, back to high school staff, because uh, I loved uh, that age and the opportunities that are there. Um, but I was pursuing engineering. I was a civil engineer. Uh, went to UCLA, studied environmental engineering, and worked for the city of Burbank as a wastewater engineer. So it's pretty exciting. I know C.T. Studd gave up professional athletics. I gave up wastewater engineering. So a pretty big sacrifice for me. But, uh, but I, I was always wanting to be open to missions, but at that time, earlier, it's not what I had a passion to do. I haven't had, had that desire on my heart. But through a series of things, God put that desire on my heart. We were praying for our missionaries of our church regularly praying for them, reading their newsletters. Um, We got to know them and would spend time serving them. And they would share with us some of the challenges overseas and the needs overseas. And the reality is that God just used those things to start helping me to see the need overseas. Now, God combined that also with Pastor MacArthur was teaching through um, whoever wishes to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I had to re-examine Am I really willing to die to myself? And then I got also, through his <clears throat> wisdom and providence, I was studying the book of Acts in my personal devotion time, seeing the gospel spread in the book of Acts. So God used all these things to then put that desire in my heart to go. And that's how God works, I believe, in missions. He's not going to drag you to Africa kicking and screaming. I want to be anything but a missionary in Africa, and God's going to throw me in Africa or China or Asia or wherever it may be. God will start putting that desire on your heart. But it will, there will come a decision point, though. Are you willing to obey when he does start putting that desire on your heart? Because it would be easy, it is easy to squash down those thoughts And when God starts to put that on your heart and say, okay, I I don't want to think about that. That sounds too difficult to follow Christ like that. Be faithful where you're at. Be faithful in what you're doing right now. As you're in high school, uh, be faithful in studying the word. Be faithful to be a light at your campus. And If you are doing those things and praying, God, I want to obey you in whatever I do, then we'll see what the Lord does with your life. Maybe he will put that desire on your heart to be a missionary. One of the things that um, God used in my life to, to further propel me towards missions is we were taking a trip to China to visit some friends. Some friends of ours were missionaries in Beijing uh, named Mark and Charity Borisik. I visited them in 2008. And so we were wanting to spend time with their family. And part of it, to consider, you know, is this a place where we could live and be missionaries? Um, so it was a good time there to, to see what was going on. But what struck me was on my flight back. The flight home from China to the U.S. is something that uh, stuck with me. For some reason, I was separated from my family on a plane. Have you guys ever done those long-distance travel uh, and you get separated from the people you're traveling with? It's not a lot of fun to get separated. You get a middle seat. Um, but that's, God had a purpose for it. And so I was sitting next to uh, a Chinese guy and uh, wanted to strike up conversation. And he had some, he had good English. Um, and so I was talking to him and starting to share the gospel with him. 
and saying, hey, you know, are you ready to stand before God in judgment one day? And he, uh, he said, you know, at this point, I want to make money. I have this career. And then when I get rich, then I'll start doing uh, nice things for people. I'm not going to worry about that stuff right now. Um, and I was telling him, if, look, you don't know how long your life is, that God may take you today, and that you need to trust in Christ's perfect work on the cross, that he died on the cross for your sin. And the guy said, well, what do you mean by a cross? I said, on a cross, he, you know, with a wood cross. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. So I got out a piece of paper, and I'm drawing a cross on a piece of paper to show this guy, and it just struck me. Have I ever had to draw a cross for anyone in the United States as I'm sharing the gospel? Have, I mean, when I say the word cross, do you guys know what that is? Well, yeah, you do. Now, partly you guys are in church. But I would imagine even those people in your neighborhood or unbelieving family members, cousins that you may have, if you said a cross, they know what you're talking about. Here's a guy who had no idea what I was saying. And so I'm drawing a picture of a cross. And it just struck me again the opportunities we have in the States and the lack of understanding in other countries where we need to be taking the truth. So God used that in my heart as well to, to consider the needs and why shouldn't I go? Why not our family going? Now, as I said before, if your wife doesn't want to go, you shouldn't go, or your spouse doesn't want to go. And uh, by God's grace, he was working on my wife's heart at the same time. And the funny thing was, we, I knew I was thinking about missions, and I had a feeling she was too, because in our prayers for missionaries and stuff. And but when we finally verbalized it, it was like, okay, this is real. You know, we need to start pursuing this. And when that God gives you that desire, sure, it's easier not to go. It's easier to come up with the excuses not to go. But at that point, would you be willing to go? The... Um, Another quote that I like, Jordan Grooms, a uh, missionary, said this, If God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. It's a high calling to be a missionary. If he calls you to that, don't stoop to be a king. So what do you do now? At this stage of your life, you say, okay, a lot about missions, the Great Commission there. Um, the needs are tremendous. I have opportunity. What, what do I do now? Well, first of all, be faithful where you're at, as I mentioned. Be faithful to continue to seek after God and pursue Him. <clears throat> I would encourage you to continue to pray to the Lord, Lord, I want to obey you, no matter what you call for my life. Now, it might be missions, it may not be missions. It, uh, it should be at least supporting missions, if not going. But I don't know what God's called each one of you to do. But are you open to lead wherever God calls you to go. Now, certainly, if you already start feeling the desire, there are ways to start learning about what's going on in missions. I would encourage you to go to our short-term missions trip. Um, we have those at Grace Church, and I'm sure other groups have that as well. Those are good opportunities to see what ministry is like overseas. So I would encourage you to do that. You can start learning a language. It's another thing you can start doing now, another way to start thinking about missions. But most of all, are you open to where God might call you? Will you be willing to obey him in that? I want to read a short poem, or at least a portion of a poem, written by C.T. Studd, the guy I started off with who was a missionary 
to China and then India and Africa. And he wrote a poem that's well known that I think is helpful. And then we'll pray. <clears throat> it's called, Only One Life, Twill Soon Be Passed. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you would, just bow your head, and I want to ask you to consider praying silently where you're at. And if you'd be willing to pray that, God, I want to obey you. I want to honor you with my life, no matter what you call me to do. You've called me to die to myself, and I want to obey that no matter what it means for my life. If it means living for you, for you here in the United States as a gospel witness, I want to honor you in that. And if it, you want me to serve as a missionary, I'm willing to do that as well. Lord, please allow me to be open to obeying you no matter what you call me to do. So just take a minute. Think through if you are ready to say that to the Lord, that you're willing to obey no matter what. Father, I thank you so much for those here in this room. Lord, you have given them such unique blessing and opportunity to be here at Regen, to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, we pray as we think of how great the needs are overseas. Lord, so many people who are desperate for Bible teaching, the kind of Bible teaching they're receiving this week, there are very few places in the world that receive this blessing that they're receiving. Lord, I pray that you would raise up more people to go out, to be missionaries around the world, even from this group. Lord, I pray that each person here would be willing to follow you no matter what you call on them to do for their lives. Lord, we know that you have plans for us and we want to be um, obedient to you in all that we do, God. Lord, we give you praise and thanks. We want to see your name glorified in all the world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.